0: Greenmark Communications, industry members, and eye care professionals are coming together to create a forum that connects the vision community in these unprecedented times. This program has been made possible in part with support from our premier sponsors, Allergan, Johnson & Johnson Vision Tear Science, Aerie, Novartis, and Santen. We'd like to thank all of our sponsors for their support of this programming.
1: Thanks for joining us today. We have a really big conversation today. Today, we'll be discussing telemedicine. Telemedicine is the use of telecommunications technologies that help us to provide real-time care, including the use of your phone, video chatting, even text messaging to help us do real-time care for our patients. As we know, this technology isn't everybody's cup of tea, and it's definitely somewhat of a hot-button topic, so we really want to get a good discussion in today. We can... uh, maybe try to give it a try if we haven't already, and let's jump right in and meet our guests.
2: Thanks, Franks, and thank you to all of our sponsors um, for allowing this episode to take place. I'm Dr. Jessalyn Quint, and I have the privilege of introducing our guest today. Our first guest is Dr. Josh Johnston. He's a clinical director and a residency director at Georgia Eye Partners in Atlanta. Today, we also have with us Dr. Jerry Robin, who is the Chief Optometrist an Adjunct Clinical Professor and a Clinical uh, Director of Clinical Research at Bowdoin Eye Associates, Dry Eye University, and Dry Eye Access in Jacksonville, Florida. Josh, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, about your practice, and how you've started seeing patients via telehealth.
3: Sure, yeah, yeah, like you said, uh, I'm the Clinical Director and Residency Director of a practice here in Atlanta, Georgia. We have about 16 different providers, uh, about half ophthalmologists and half optometrists. And, you know, prior to COVID was sort of, um, you know, about 70% of my time is running our dry clinic. And that was most of what I knew and had done some beta testing, a little bit of telemedicine before looked at it, but never really had, you know, kicked the tires with patient care. So our group, um, some of the leadership uh, put together team on March 18th really gave us 24 hours me and a few others to really develop a team from scratch and build this out. So we started seeing patients on uh, the 19th of March and then have scaled that to our group internally. And then now I'm helping develop that for other groups in our MSO throughout the Southeast. And so it's been fun to really do this for the past three weeks. I've never been busier, um, but it's been rewarding to keep optometrists working if you will Uh, maybe not normal capacity, but at a telemedicine, which we'll talk about today. And then also, you know, um, allowing patients to reach us and still offering care that previously wasn't there. So it's been, it's been wonderful, obviously some challenging times, but it's been highly rewarding being a part of this.
1: Thanks, Jerry. Uh, nice to meet you. Thanks for joining us here today. Could you tell me a little bit about your experience and your practice using telemedicine?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, similarly to Josh, I'm in an ODMD practice. Um, we are still seeing patients, but on a restricted scale, so just like he said, you know, in our large practices, we have a lot of patients that are going, you know, without care. And so telemedicine has just been an awesome uh, insert into our, our practice to, to really kind of outreach and start to see these, uh, take care of these folks, see these folks over the Internet, just like we're seeing each other right now. Uh, we've also been doing it for three weeks. Uh, we've had a lot of practices reach out to us as well and, and kind of just – just kind of learn through our trial and error and, and pass on the little bit of knowledge that that we gain every day with this to, you know, kind of get everybody confident and able to, to to start doing this in their own day-to-day practice.
2: It's really great to hear that both of you guys have embraced this modality in your practices. You know, I think optometry had a little bit of a rough introduction to Hella health to telehealth in general with, you know, the online refractions that were out there, maybe some companies kind of devaluing our profession, or maybe not utilizing telehealth in kind of the most responsible way concerning eye health. Um, But, you know, in order to survive, like any industry, you have to kind of be willing to adapt. So, Jerry, for all the ODs that are out there that are thinking about kind of incorporating telehealth into their practice, why is now like the perfect time to kind of em- embrace this technology? Well,
4: I mean, you know, it, it, we all know the answer to that. It, it's, it's, it's the social distancing that is now a, a a term that we didn't have and now we do. And, and so again, we're healthcare providers and traditionally that's a face-to-face endeavor, but uh, in these trying times, you know, we have to find ways to care for our patients without being in the same room as them. And so you know, based on necessity, telehealth is is now a reality that I think we all need to, you know, get used to and, and learn about and embrace. I definitely agree. Now, this is a time like no other in all of
1: history. And just like you said, we all have to be socially distanced from each other. We all need to be able to help each other. But how do we do that? And this is definitely where I think that this falls in. My personal experience, I've had several friends, of course, you know, When you're an optometrist, you become that guy who knows something about that, something that maybe you can help your friend about as well. And I've actually been helping several different families with different things. And my personal experience with telehealth during this time is that there is a tremendous value to having telehealth available because, I mean, as we know, a lot of offices are straight out closed right now. They're not even open to do emergencies. The availability of doctors right now is also at an unprecedented low. And let's be honest, nobody wants to go to the ER right now too, right? So we're talking about like a real time where telehealth is, uh, this is this is definitely the time to get into it.
2: Josh, when your practice was starting to implement this, what platforms were you looking at? What What were some kind of qualifiers that you used to kind of pick the one that you're using?
3: Great question. So, you know, there were plenty of robust platforms that were out there prior to the COVID crisis and all those were regulated, which had to be HIPAA compliant. They had to be secure all these different measures that were in place to protect patients. Right. And so there was the 1135 waiver that was passed by the president that really essentially allowed us to use anything like Skype or zoom or FaceTime. So we deployed really our current existing EMR system just using FaceTime and Google duo. So the first day we, you know, sort of developed our internal, Structures on how to do this and the workflow. The first day we saw two patients, the next day we saw 12, and then we're scaling that now to about 85 to 90 patients a day in our office. And so we're just using our existing EMR with FaceTime and Google Duo. There's a lot of cool technology that's out there, but to train, you know, we have 150 doctors in our network to train everybody and train the staff and onboard everybody. We had to move quickly and just kind of develop this from scratch and and launch this and go uh, as is that next day.
2: Yeah. Are you guys um, utilizing it just from an emergency, you know, eye exam standpoint? Are you doing like a lot of dry eye follow-ups or kind of those other um, exams that were already on your scheduling? You're just kind of switching them to a different modality.
3: You know, a few different opportunities here. Like Dr. Robin said, we're having, you know, our call center gets roughly 350 calls a day. And so those patients are being triaged, right? So there's urgent care that needs to be seen in the office. We have two ophthalmologists right now working up or seeing patients from roughly 8 a.m. till 12 p.m. every day on a limited basis. That's about 30 patients a day, really urgent care. Uh, Some of our optometrists are doing, you know, five to 10 exams, urgent care as well. Then there's the opportunity for telemedicine. What we're stratifying and triaging is telemedicine urgent and telemedicine non-urgent. And then also looking at existing patients that are scheduled in the future and really going through there. So Dry, you know, again, 80% of my day roughly prior to this. Now that's roughly 5%, right? This is conjunctivitis, subconcheme, floaters, flashes, you know, wide variety of, of pathology. We've actually detected an optic neuritis. Um, we had um, several patients' angle closure glaucoma that we were able to bring into the office and treat with laser. And even today, a traumatic um, iridocyclitis. So you, we've seen a lot of hyphema, different things. You know, it's sort of day to day, right? People are living life in some fashion. So there's going to be trauma and pathology that creeps in there. Our volume's down, but um, telemedicine continues to grow, and it's been a great opportunity for patients to reach us and still get care.
2: Yeah. I'd like to point out to our um, audience that's listening, you know, thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, if you do have questions, you know, go ahead and utilize that Facebook chat or if you're on Zoom, use that chat as well. That way we can, you know, this is your time to to ask um, your questions to the experts and get some direct answers. Jerry, what what about you? Are you guys just utilizing it from an emergency standpoint or is it more similar to kind of what Josh is doing?
4: Real similar to what Josh is doing. So you know, again, we're we're stuck to doing just the emergent cases and the, the downright, you know, chronic medical patients that just can't really not be seen, right? So everybody else is an option for telemedicine. So likewise, the conjunctivitis or the red eye or what's going on here, it's a great way for us to, you know, actually see the patient, kind of do, a, you know, a really good exam. I, I feel confident about what I'm doing over uh, the the telehealth uh, the platform we're using is like uh, I care Live, and um, you know I feel really good that I'm getting a good idea as far as what you know is wrong with the patient and whether I can deal with it in in this setting or do we truly need to see them. Um, so you know it, it it it's going great so far. Uh, we're we're also doing things like glaucoma test review and 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 just you know again dry follow-ups. Hey checking in. Are we still doing everything? Is this working for you? Stay compliant. So it's just kind of a a little bit of everything that really doesn't meet criteria to have the patient come in and and be face-to-face right now. Now, I got
1: to point out, now this is something that I, I was not expecting, but wow, what a really great idea and what a great thought, because we're now not just talking about only doing a little bit of telehealth and talking on the phone and not even seeing the patient, but uh, back with, uh, with Jerry, we were talking about having the patients even come in. We said we had a patient who had an angle closure. We had a patient who had other, other concerns. They caught an optic neuritis, and that's really fantastic. And what a consideration that not everybody can do, but having a combination of practice modality and telehealth and bringing the patients back in, I got to say, that's actually pretty fantastic. It's something that I hadn't really considered. Um, Josh, can you speak a little bit more on HIPAA compliance and what forms of telemedicine are HIPAA compliant and what forms might not be HIPAA compliant?
3: Sure, great question. You know, prior to this, you know, there was some stuff published in January from CMS and different uh, private payers about guidelines, and so there was a focus and restriction on HIPAA compliant things and and how we do this, but all of that, fortunately, has been lifted to a less restrictive state because of this COVID emergency. So at this point, um, you know, telemedicine can be used with any platform you want to, essentially just FaceTime or unsecure methods. And that really goes into two forms of telemedicine. We, we all lump this in together, but telemedicine essentially is, can be a synchronous live phone call with a patient. And that's gonna be, you know, your, what's called a virtual check-in. That's the G2012 codes or the newly published telephone E and M codes uh, that were published on 4.2, I believe, where that's just really talking to patients. That could be about anything involving eye care. And then you actually, using synchronous video, that really is what's kind of considered classic tele telehealth, right, telemedicine. And those are the traditional EM codes we've always used for reimbursement and doing that. So the HIPAA stuff being compliant has been released, and, and we're okay to do this stuff with just a verbal patient consent. The patient needs to drive out this um, need and desire. It's not something we can proactively reach out to them, but it's got to be something that's guided by the patient and their desire for this. And then certainly verbal consent for it. And then um, we move right into the exam, whether it's just a phone call or FaceTime, audio, video, uh, synchrony, tele- telephone type.
2: Let's talk a little bit about a liability in all of this, because I know that that's a common question that pops up. So um, what is the liability for you know telehealth In COVID, but maybe even post-COVID. Jerry, can you shed a little bit of light on regarding that?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, just like Josh said, things are a little bit more lax right now because of of the COVID-19 situations and everything that they're kind of rolling out with this. But looking forward, you know, there there are going to be, you know, compliance uh, liabilities that we have to be aware of, you know, using the proper codes, Uh, completing a proper exam, hitting all the points that we need to. And as far as that goes, that's nothing to be afraid of. Uh, You know, when we're seeing patients every day, we have a certain criteria that we have to meet in order to bill for what we're doing, right? And we can't just, you know, arbitrarily see people. We have to do, you know, a, a review of systems, a history of present illness. We have to go over their medical history. And then, of course, all the points in the exam that we have to do. Well, a lot of that can be done and is done and has to be done in these, uh, you know, telehealth exams if we're going to be doing a true, you know, exam. And so, you know, we use the G, model, the, the G code, like uh, Josh said, for the, the virtual check-ins, which is basically just a quick check-in. But for most of these exams, I'm doing uh, a 99212 um, uh, generally with these, and I'm meeting all those criteria. So as far as liability, you have to do that. And meet those, you know, criteria. We're doing exams here, and we're billing for it. But also, there's the patient care liabilities that I think some of us might be even more concerned about. And again, like I mentioned a second ago, I, I feel really confident as we're going through this, and I'm getting more and more just uh, of these uh, exams under our belt that, you know, I'm not missing anything. I get a really good idea with what's going on with the patient. You know, like Josh said, he he diagnosed uh, uh, an optic neuritis over telehealth. I mean, you know, that really and truly is uh, uh, the level of, of care that we can provide if we're just, you know, falling back on our training and looking for all the signs and symptoms and going through the proper questioning that that it's going to take in order to diagnose something like that. But again, the vast majority of, th- of these and the vast majority of these that our colleagues are probably going to be using are going to be maybe less severe than that. But it's, it's kind of neat to know that telehealth can provide that level of care. This is really exciting for me, too, because this is definitely
1: one of those like really great topics, and you're giving us so much information. I have a viewer question from Stacey Clark. She asks, which diagnostic and imaging tools are you using in diagnosing your patients via telemedicine? Either of you guys can answer this.
4: Go ahead, Josh. I mean, are, are you using any any type of diagnostics or anything? I'll, I'll tell you, you know, uh, I'm not unless it's already been done, but, but do you have anything to say about that?
3: No, we had a lot of confusion with that early on, right? Because there were some state restrictions state by state on what you could do. And all that was based on generating prescriptions for things like contacts and glasses. So with all the restrictions being, you know, kicked out the door, if you will, early on, we had discussions with that. But honestly, it's just our, our phones, right? And our brains. And so- yeah. We can ask patients how they 're seeing, but we 're not checking vision by any sort of standard metric we 're not we 're looking at text images from from patients that are sending those to us. Those are very valuable because you can zoom in on them and of course, the video exam itself so while there's probably some fancy technology and some um, different diagnostics that can check things remotely we 're just using phones, text images, and video at
4: this time yeah that that 's what we 're doing too exactly and and we find the same value in all that stuff so we 're not really checking patients vision in in what we're doing and i think that's what you're doing as well right correct yeah it's just a subjective how is your
3: vision doing that type of uh, discussion on vision yep
2: dr neil pence uh shout out fellow hoosier out there he um asked a question we might have already covered it his question was um are you using the telehealth um, codes Uh, for billing are you doing it more of an in-person standpoint and maybe because we already kind of touched on that could you also include um, you know some practices are kind of doing this as like a cash-based only model and is there any ramification in that does that violate any insurance contracts and you know with that regard Josh let's start with you
3: sure yeah so if you separate this into two buckets one is it what we call virtual check-in and that's just audio phone call. So that's if you're going from five to 10 minutes on time, you want to have a patient consent in the chart. You want to have a mention of how much time you spent. If it's five to 10 minutes, you want to bill a G2012 code. That reimburses roughly around $15. Um, if you go over 10 minutes, then that's where you're using the, the new telephone E&M codes, 99442. And that will get you a little bit higher reimbursement there if you go over 10 minutes. That goes up to about $23 there if you're actually using video then that becomes telehealth with sort of that synchronous video Um, you know basically most of our patients are if they're new we haven't had a lot of new patients but if they're new 99201 99202 and 99203 if they're established which has been most of the patients calling in uh, 99212 and 99213 um, we've had some commercial payers and some you know reimbursements already come through at all levels for this and so I think the, it's been lax, like Jerry said, and we're getting, you know, patients are enjoying it and we're getting reimbursement for it, um, but that's most of what we do there.
4: Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll echo that. I mean, we're, we're doing all the same stuff, really leaning hard on the 9-2 codes. Um, we're, we're really, you know, not doing too many of those virtual check-ins unless the patient just really cannot navigate the, the technology, then, then we take advantage of that. But, um, you know, I, th- I think that uh, we can also waive the co-pays, right, Josh, right now with the, 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 the kind of just for right now. And, and so there's the cash uh, uh, um, option as well. And, and with Eye Care Live, for instance, the patient has to put in a, a credit card in order to really kind of set up the... Um, uh, the the account and, and set up the exam. And so we can actually, in, in situations where we're going to waive the copay, maybe they have a really high copay or something like that and, and just charge them kind of a flat fee or something like that.
3: The uh, We are offering a telemed exam for, for non-insured patients for $85 to cover that question. Um, and I think this is where optometry will be better than ophthalmology because they're used to doing stuff like contact lens exams that are all out of pocket traditionally, right? So, Um, You know, we don't do much of that in our practice, but if patients need contacts, you know, there's an opportunity here to certainly charge a virtual contact lens fitting fee to get those patients wearing as well. So that's something to explore, I think, will be widely uh, utilized by optometry.
1: And while we're still on the topic of coding, uh, we do have a question. I think I uh, misread the name of the person, but uh, we do have a question. Can a 99211 be used on a phone consult only? And are the G codes G two zero one two used standalone or more as a level two code with an enm code i know we kind of talked about that before either of you guys can answer that yeah So oh,
3: there's a lot of codes out there but you know we've worked with some high level consultants at bsm consulting and we have a, you know, a robust team with with our group at isouth partners but essentially the g2012 codes Um, If you're just talking to a patient will be the most appropriate to use in the higher reimbursements. There are a lot of other telephone codes out there. Um, And, you know, just to be to get the higher reimbursement, the G2012 code, if it's less than 10 minutes, if you're going more than 10 minutes, I would do the new telephone E&M codes, which were just published um, on the beginning of April. And so those are new codes with higher reimbursements. I think allowing providers to do this care and you know making it more opportunistic for us to do so and get higher reimbursements. there's a lot of old codes that are out there with telephone codes but the new ones that just got published the telephone ENM codes the 994 codes are probably the most appropriate especially if you're going more than 10 minutes
2: I do want to take this moment to you know again give a big shout out to our sponsors um, we have some really great people that are making today possible. So special thank you to Allergan, Johnson & Johnson Vision, um, to your science, Ari, Novartis, uh, Santan, California Cynicals, and Avellino Labs. Um, their support, you know, support today is, is allowing us to kind of share this really great information. Um, both of you guys have kind of mentioned I Care Live as one of the telehealth platforms that are out there. Um, there's also Doxy.me that's been mentioned. Are there other platforms that, um, you know, you've heard of, that you know of um, colleagues that are using so that listeners can maybe kind of check all of those out to see what would best fit their practice?
4: The ones that I'm mostly familiar with are the, the two that you have mentioned. And then then again, you know, there, there's plenty of us out there that are just using Skype or Facebook. Um, so th- those are the ones that I'm mostly familiar with. What about you, Josh?
3: Yeah, so I had the opportunity to meet the founder of um, I Care Live, and we don't use that and I have no affiliation or not a consultant for them, but... That's kind of the gold standard platform, I would assume, at this point. And it was very familiar with them prior to this because it was built upon dry eye and really built for eye care. There's a lot of stuff out there, but it's not eye care specific that I know of. Doxy.me has got a lot of traction in the past few days. We tested it early on and um, had some issues. It's secure, so it needs a really strong Wi Fi signal to get through with these people. Where you're just regular FaceTime right now because this is deregulated, had better connectivity for us. So I think moving forward, you know, as the post COVID era comes in, um, telecare or sorry telemedicine is here to stay and it may be 20 percent of our day every day from now on in three or four months from now and I think something like I Care Live is what we'll do with our network and our group we had you know had roughly 1200 employees and so we had to deploy our existing technology quickly but that platform will probably be something with what we go with in the future just based on it being sort of the first in class product out there that
1: I know of you know just as you said telemedicine isn't going anywhere. We've got it. It's here to stay. It's going to be a part of our lives. And that's definitely the truth. Now, with that said, can you tell us a little bit about reimbursement? How much can we expect to be reimbursed for some of these things? Because this is really one of the biggest questions. I mean, if we're going to add this into our practices, we need to make these profitable hours. And again, not just now, which of course, I mean, I can imagine most of us will want anything right now, but also in the future, when we're seeing patients, and as you said, even doing 20, 30 minutes a day, 60 minutes a day of telehealth, we have to make sure that it's, it's profitable for us. Can you talk to us a little bit about reimbursement?
4: So from my standpoint, you know, again, I'm, I'm really just using either the, the G2012 uh, code, like Josh said, that's about $15. I think it's a little bit less than 15 bucks. Um, but again, you're, that's, you know, you're not really devoting a lot of time. That's basically a phone call with a patient. Uh, the, again, the vast majority I'm doing the 9 one 2 code. And uh, I think that's somewhere on the order of about 35 to $45. What do, what do you say, Josh? Yeah, agreed, yeah.
3: So, and looking at some of these questions coming in here. So, a lot of this was out there. There's a lot of literature out there. And in the first few weeks of this, we're trying to get these exam elements from those 99212 and 99213 levels. You had to have, you know, if you were doing five or less elements of an exam and that was essentially 99211 or and then if you got above you know six or eight elements you could do a 99213 and so as of last Friday I believe all those restrictions were, were you know were changed and so you don't need the same uh, restrictions or requirements as an in-office visit and so now with the FaceTime and video any sort of video technology you can still build the same E&M codes we've always done they are being reimbursed and paying at the same rate so that they were always done and they're less restrictive in the sense you don't need, it's not based on the exam elements. It's now can be based on time. And an example of that is you may spend 20 minutes on a patient talking about dry eye. That's not that high of a level of medical decision-making. You may want to still code that in 99213 based on your time, or you may have a corneal ulcer or something like a retinal detachment, which is a higher level of medical decision-making that you only spent four or five minutes on that because of that decision-making was more advanced, you can still probably up code to a 99213. So, you know, I think CMS is going to be a little bit forgiving. Um, But now, as of last Friday, these decision-makings and time both can be considerations rather than exam elements like we're traditionally held to.
1: Now, we do have another viewer question from an Azaday. He wants to know, how do you meet all of the components of the 99212?
3: Yeah, I'll take that, Jerry, just because I was sort of touching on that right there. So, you know, prior to this, you know, a week ago, again, you had to make all these different exam elements. If it's an established patient, you would, um, you know, typically that's part of the exam, the medical decision-making, and something like the, you know, chief complaint and patient history. Now those are less restrictive, right? So, you know, it's based on time and just the medical decision-making you're doing there. And so there's really no further restriction on how many elements you have to build
4: like a level two exam or a level three so you want to document basically your start time and your end time within it and that that's what i do anyways within eye Care live they they kind of have a little exam set up and you document within it as you're going through with the patient and i document my start time and i document my my end time is that kind of what you do josh
3: Correct. You know, we're we're not using a platform like iCare Live, which does that for you, which is nice and a bonus there. But we're basically noting the patient consent in the chart. We're doing proper uh, sorry proper documentation like you always would, the same ethical and medical decisions you normally would, and then documenting that they consented for the exam and just the the time you spent on that. But that's great pearls there. Yep.
2: Josh and Jerry, they're ahead of the curve. You know, they've really embraced um, this modality. For some of our colleagues that are out there that maybe haven't quite jumped on this bandwagon, what do you think are the biggest obstacles out there and um, what do you think is giving people kind of a hard time um, of touching on this? Jerry, what's your take on that?
4: Yeah, I I think it's like just anything, anything within optometry, Uh, you know, uh, sometimes Josh and I will probably ask ourselves, why isn't this doctor treating dry eye? Why isn't this doctor treating glaucoma? You know, and sometimes it's just you know the confidence to do so, the 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 go ahead to do so. Uh, For example, I had uh, one of my previous students just call me today, and uh, he wanted to just know what were my thoughts on on telemedicine and what were my thoughts on iCare Live in particular, and he he had everything in line. He, I didn't tell him anything today that he didn't know or even already kind of have the idea about it, but he just needed the confirmation from me, somebody who's doing it, that, that he had the right idea and he was approaching it the right way. And, and so I think that's probably the, the biggest barrier that I've seen just with talking to other colleagues is just confirmation that their ideas about how this is supposed to work is truly legit and truly the way they should proceed.
2: What about you, Josh?
3: Yeah, it's a great point. So, you know, I've been fortunate to work around some great and some bright people at our organization here. And so early on our, you know, our CEO and president engaged us and challenged us and asked everyone to step up and be a leader. And so early on, it was a mindset shift that, you know, we've got to find a way to help patients and give a new way to care for patients with the deregulation. You know, there's a lot of opportunity to do that. And so then it either, you know, um, again, mindset shift on, on what's a telemedicine patient. You know, before we uh, would think of that as a red eye. But now, again, there's patients calling in, asking questions about compliance with glaucoma drops. Really, anything that's out there that patients are calling about that has anything to do with eye care is an opportunity to engage these patients and give a telemedicine exam and help these people. And then as you get busier, the key, I think, you know, is just doing it, right? So whether it's something like Jerry mentioned, diagnosing and treating dry, the same mindset for this is actually doing it, you know. Kick the tires, get in there, see a few patients, modify your systems, adapt, see what's working for you, what's not working. As you get deeper into this, you'll, you'll realize then the challenge is probably something like your call center and your front desk. You know, how do you train them? I spent two days at our call center working with our, our telephone people and telling them, you know, what is telemedicine? How can we treat patients? What's medical? What's non-medical? And really going through the front to back of the workflow and, and really optimizing everything you can because, you know, some of this stuff we dabbled in a little bit before, but now it's our main option for care at this time. And so we want to do as good as we can, but it's here to stay. I agree with you guys and, and you know, it's going to be fun to watch as this develops.
1: We have another viewer question from Sawyer. Sawyer says, hi there. Thank you all for doing this for everyone. Can you expand on how you're doing the text pictures and videos? This is a good question. If you are texting the patient, is it direct from your personal phone uh, to their phone? I'll take that, Jerry,
3: just because it's a little bit different. Then you can go into yours about the platform, how that's unique there. So because we're not using a secure platform, we basically have, at this point, um, four technicians working up these patients virtually. And these patients are texting them images. Um, and then we have a text string connecting our techs and our doctors all together. So, again, it doesn't have to be secure or compliant and HIPAA compliant, all these different things. So all the text images are just shared to us on a text string to review and then they're putting in those into the medical record and the EMR uh, systems that we're using there. And so there's no official platform we're using other than just text messages at this point for images. Uh, there's been a lot of questions we've fielded from optometrists out there. You can't bill a photo. Um, so the telehealth exam is either a non-video conference with the virtual check-in codes or you know telehealth codes with a video, but you can't bill for photos or anterior seg photos
4: or anything like that. Yeah so we we have a uh, an office phone that's basically devoted to to this and so we're not having patients text us to our personal phones these images they're 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 coming to you know the office phone number the 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 office uh, uh cell phone that that we load them into the patients uh uh, uh file you know their 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 EMR file too when we make our little note that that we've uh, seen them, so for ICare Live, you know, again, most of this stuff is just like this with a with a webcast or a, a video cast, but um, it, we're still putting in our chart that we saw this patient uh, via a telehealth uh, virtual exam and putting a note in there, and then iCare Live uh, from the exam that I've done, it will generate a printout uh, exam that we can then scan into our EMR and have it there with today's date so that it can be referenced in a follow-up exam in the office or follow-up telehealth exam or whatever. So, uh, you know, it, it all just fits right in directly into the EMR just with scanning in the image after we printed it.
2: I think that's really great. You know, this whole telehealth thing has been a way for optometry to really kind of formalize that process. Whether if it's regarding you know reimbursement or how we can kind of incorporate that into kind of our everyday flow, there are a lot of questions coming in from staff um, or from panelists. One from Brittany. Um, kind of dealing with billing and coding as a general is there like a really good resource on you know that we could give audience members to um, be able to kind of go and get their specific billing and coding questions the modifiers that they should be using any suggestions for that
4: John Rompakas does has been doing webinars really ever since this started and that's where we've learned the vast majority of our stuff so I would I would look um, up any webinar that he's doing and, and take that in. Uh, what about you, Josh, any other pointers? Yeah. Again, I have no affiliation with
1: Live,
3: but they are doing a tremendous draw, job about teaching our colleagues. John Rapakis is sort of a the guru in coding and billing for optometry and a good friend of mine. I watched the, one of their webinars, that will get you what you need. Um, we didn't talk about modifiers today and that's one of the questions here. So if you're using the E and M codes, you want to build a 95 modifier with that. But the traditional EM codes, E codes, we've always used with the modifier 95 is all you need once you do that video, and that's kind of it. But John Rumpakis and I, those webinars are, are running at least two or three a week. I, I would use them as a resource there for this.
2: I'd also show, um, you know, the AOA did an online webinar about telehealth as well. That was a really good resource for a lot of people. So if you can access that in addition to these, that would be that would be really helpful. I know for my practice, when we've utilized telehealth, we found a little bit of variation with modifiers, depending on the insurance company that they have. Have either of you encountered any of that? Um, You know, Josh or Jerry were, you know, depending on their specific plan, you had to use like a different, like kind of a GQ instead of a 95 modifier.
4: Great. Not to my knowledge. Yeah,
3: great question. We're watching the stuff that's going through and being submitted. Um, the private payers really don't have a lot of literature about this, but they're, the thought is they'll follow CMS. And we've been doing the same thing that CMS has guided us to do. And at this point, almost, I would say majority, if not all, are getting paid. We've had very few denials and those were post-op patients. And so that's been a little you know, subset
1: area for us, but
3: otherwise it's been really easy.
1: I'm going to switch gears here for a second here. We have another anonymous question. Information on equipment and suppliers, including digital phoropters, refractors, and fundus cameras and OCT. Uh, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and assume you guys aren't using these on your telehealth exams. So, but I did want to make sure that we were clear on that. Yeah, pretty much. Okay.
4: And, and we... Uh... From our standpoint, I mean, we plan on doing this long term, like Josh said, maybe, you know, 15, 20% of our day in the future might be devoted to telehealth. But I don't think that from our standpoint, we're looking to get that in depth. We're still going to do eye exams. We're going to do the majority uh, eye exams in the office once everything gets back to normal.
2: Neil Pence has a question. For the after hours on calls you take, if you do not see them within the 24 hours, are you billing for those calls? Are you billing them for calls?
3: Sure. I'll jump in there, Jerry. So there are some restrictions, and this is a great question to, to dovetail this in. So the virtual check-ins, and again, that's the G2012 code and the 994 codes with the telephone e they have two restrictions. Early on, they had to be a new, an established patient that's been waived after, as of last week. So, the only two restrictions at this time you cannot bill the virtual check ins if there was a previous EM service billed within the previous seven days, or if you plan to see them and bill an EM service in the next 24 hours. Otherwise, there's no restriction on EM codes. Like, if you're seeing a corneal ulcer in your practice and you're following them every day, normally you would bill a 99 code over and over. Um, you can still do that with telemedicine, um, the G codes you can do every day and virtual check-ins. There's no restriction on that, but there are those two restrictions. If you've seen them in the past seven days for an E visit or the next 24 hours. So my thought here is that if you're on call and you're seeing a patient, I would bill a G 2012 code for that day. And if you plan to bring him in the next day in the office, then you would do your normal E codes at that time. We've got a few questions here about that as well. How do we diagnose a retinal detachment or an angle closure? We diagnosed them through telehealth, so we presumed it sounded like an angle closure or it sounded like a retinal detachment. But to be transparent here in Canada, we had those patients come into the office where we then examined them and caught those things. So uh, to deep, you know, dive in that we didn't diagnose optic neuritis or, or retinal detachment via telehealth. We suspected it with a, those conditions were part of that process and we then brought them in for a physical exam exam and diagnosed it that way. That's a great question.
1: I think I would definitely identify that right there. as one of the biggest qualifying differences between what a lot of people think telehealth is and what we can really make of it as well because oftentimes people think about this as we were talking about before with the liability. There's some real serious potential here especially if we combine it with in-office visits. Really fantastic.
2: Of you guys have um, said that you're going to continue using it, and, and in the future, um, is there a different approach that you're going to take? Obviously, you're already using a platform, you know, um, that is for the most part HIPAA compliant. Are you going to advertise it differently to your patients? Are you going to be, you know, featuring this on your website? How are you um, going to kind of roll that out for years to come?
4: Well, for our patients, I mean, I, I envision it being similar to what we're doing now. So, you know like a lot of us, uh, if we are open, we're having patients that are calling to cancel because of of everything they're hearing, and rightly so, that that they shouldn't be coming in for uh, an an exam that's not essential. Um, Right there's an opportunity for that staff member who's taking that cancellation to offer the patient a virtual exam. And, and so the patients that are interested in that, then that staff member's been educated. Like Josh was saying, we we've educated our our phone crew and the front desk and everybody about this, so that they can intelligently uh, uh, direct the patient to the iCare Live app in our in our case, and and get it signed up and navigate and choose and exam themselves uh, exam time with me to. To be seen so I envision that being being just a, a talking point for every cancellation we have is oh Miss Jones sorry you canceled would you like to have this exam on a virtual visit this time I don't envision this necessarily replacing too many of my in-office exams that I would traditionally do maybe a few here and there but I kind of think going forward that it's going to be a way for me to stay more in touch with my patients not while they're in the exam room Uh, and and just have a little bit more of a personal touch moving forward. Now, I have a question. As you just said,
1: if you were to have your staff pick up the phone and somebody were making a cancellation and you were to uh, convince them to a telehealth visit, which I think is a really great idea, could you give me an idea as to the flow? How does this occur? Oh, I'm on the phone and then we move into the telehealth exam, maybe scheduled later, but even then, how does it start the, the The technician starts and starts to get some information? Can you give me an idea of what flow we 're looking at here of uh, of things that the tech is doing and then moving to you
4: so for me i 'm the one uh, i 'm doing a little bit different than Josh. Josh has technicians I think working up for him which is which is awesome i I, I just think that's amazing for for us uh, i 'm the one that's that 's breaking off from my clinic and, and going into a quiet room and and closing the door behind me and and doing the whole thing, so, so um, uh, that that's how I do it. The the for iCare Live, the patient, you know, and, I, and again, the patient has to initiate a lot of these, right? But the patient uh, schedules the appointment through the iCare Live app that I have set up. So I set my schedule. When am I available for telehealth? They choose an appointment time. It shows up in my doctor's uh, portal there, and and so when it's time, I just hit the little uh, call button and it calls them through the app and, and we get this face-to-face in, interaction and we just start. And again, kind of like Josh said, they're, they're generally about, you know, 15 minute long, sometimes 20 minute long in a longer one uh, uh, exam periods. And that's about how we slot them. So we're actually slotting them in our, our exam uh, uh, schedule so that I know that I have enough time between in-office patients to go take care of the telehealth patients that are, that are being scheduled.
3: That's great. You know, I think post COVID, right. I think this, again, I'm bullish on this and optimistic this will be here to stay. And so iCare live and those systems, book appointments and time slots, and there's a lot of customization there. So that's going to be kind of what Jerry's doing now is probably what's going to be done in the future. Our group, um, the workflow there is basically, you know, we have 350 calls a day coming into our call center. We have four employees or four to five employees that are handling those calls. That's sort of the first work workflow area. They then get triaged to something that's urgent that needs to be seen in the office for a medical urgent reason or triaged to telemedicine and telemedicine urgent or telemedicine non urgent. They're then put in a virtual queue where we have four technicians virtually, you know, all remote working those patients up. The telemedicine urgent patients get worked up first. And essentially, that's just a chief complaint and HPI and things like that, um, and getting any text images, that sort of thing. And then once they're done, they put them in a queue for our providers to work them up and, and see these exams. And so we have four optometrists going full time, every day, really, eight thirty to five, seeing these patients. You know, hitting about ninety a day at this point. But that's sort of the different workflow we have there.
2: Do you guys think that obviously, you know, the cat's out of the bag? telehealth is kind of here to stay. Um, Do you, you know, kind of thinking forward future where we have different, um, you know, now we have the ability to check eye pressure at home through those, you know, tenometer type of devices. Do you think that futuristic things will change significantly for optometry because of telehealth?
3: Yeah, I'm I'm optimistic. So, you know, you look at the post-COVID period. So, You know, we hope in three weeks we'll have these antibody tests where we can see that, you know, some of us have probably been exposed to this in our clinics. And if you've had it, the thought is that you can go back to work and there's been a lot of patients that will get those antibody tests and go back to work. I'm very optimistic for optometry because I think these younger patients who maybe aren't as nervous about getting sick or younger patients who have previous exposure, they're going to want to engage us in this sort of format, right? So if you get a, you know, um, a patient who's 65, 70 years old, who has not tested positive for antibodies, they're probably nervous about COVID and that's really until we get a vaccine. So there's no reason for something like a subcon team that we see, you know, it's probably our most urgent care thing we do day to day. It gets worked in it's either flashes and floaters or a subcon team. That subcon team, you know, if there's no decreased vision is something that's perfect for telemedicine. And if these patients hadn't had a vaccine yet until they do, that's something I think we're going to utilize long-term to keep them at lower risk. Um, so with younger patients probably getting out there and working sooner than the elderly folks, I think this will play into optometry really well with seeing patients, getting prescriptions, doing these things than traditionally they had to come in the office to do. Yeah,
4: and to kind of touch on, you know, you, you, you brought up, you know, maybe an at-home tenometer or something like that. You know, again, we're in an age where you can't really be short-sighted with some of this stuff or close minded you know, it, it might be possible in the future where you have a glaucoma patient where they, they get a, a, a accurate at-home tonometer and instead of coming in, you know, four or five, six times a year or more in, in an advanced case, you could touch in maybe every other time when you're just doing an IOP check. You know, you're not dilating the patient or anything like that. You can review some previously done OCTs and visual fields, have the patient check their pressure. And, and you can just touch, touch in with them like right there and, and, and cover your grounds of really what the purpose of that exam is. So like Josh said, you know, who knows where we'll be a year from now? Who knows where we'll be five years from now with this? But it's, it's going to be relevant and it's going to be part of really maybe what they're teaching in schools and everything else at some point.
1: This has been an extremely illuminating conversation for me personally. Now, before we wrap up, do either of you have any significant parting advice, something for all of us as we all start to embrace telemedicine or start to consider incorporating it into our practices?
3: Yeah, I'll start. I would say two things. One is that um, make the decision to do this because your patients need it and they want it. It's been great. And then dive into it, start seeing patients, you know, redirecting calls. Historically, you know, your front staff or call center or technicians would have just answered questions and given care. But if there's questions about eye care or drops or anything like that, that's an opportunity, opportunity for telehealth. And I think you just, you know, dive into this with your staff, go full speed and commit to it. And um, it's been fun. But most importantly, it's allowed us to really give good care to our patients when they can't come into our office. So make the decision. Jump in full speed and then uh, embrace it because it's here to stay.
4: Yeah, I agree. You know, again, I I'm just a user of iCare Live. I'm not affiliated with them with any way, but I would say educate yourself. Look at the the webinars from iCare Live and Dr. Rumpakis and in the AOA webinar and 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 just schedule your first patient. Educate yourself. Prepare yourself. Develop a standard of care just like you do for everything else. And and schedule that first patient and make it happen. I promise you you it's not scary once you start doing it and you'll be really happy and so will your patients the patients love it
2: well Josh and Jerry thank you so much for being here with us today thank you to our audience for also participating this will be available you know off you know post-production kind of down the road so you can go back and listen Thank you again to our sponsors for making today, um, you know, happen. Um, We hope all of you were able to take away some really important information from this because that is our ultimate goal with these video episodes, to come together, hear from colleagues, learn together, and just really kind of embrace our eye care community so that we can get through these challenging times.
1: We're going to be back here again on Monday with a new episode. We're actually going to be talking about what to do if you've been laid off or furloughed. So stay tuned. Watch us on Facebook, Facebook Live, and uh, join us again on Monday as we talk about furlough and being laid off. Otherwise, uh, please feel free to uh, share your experiences with us on Facebook. And otherwise, wish you happy health and safety.
0: Bryn Communications, industry members, and eye care professionals are coming together to create a forum that connects the vision community in these unprecedented times. This program has been made possible in part with support from our premier sponsors, Allergan, Johnson & Johnson Vision Tear Science, Aerie, Novartis, and Santen. We'd like to thank all of our sponsors for their support of this programming. This webcast podcast is intended solely for ophthalmic healthcare professionals and ophthalmic industry representatives. By accessing this webcast podcast, I acknowledge that Bryn Mawr Communications, LLC, herein BMC, along with any all third-party corporate supporters of this webcast podcast, makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information presented in this webcast podcast. BMC, along with any all third-party corporate supporters of this webcast podcast, do not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any of the opinions or information presented or mentioned. BMC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to reliance on in this webcast podcast.